Well, if you give a party, don't lock the door. Turn out all the lights, cause if you don't let my boys inside, it's going to be a fight. Well, we started out this morning, we're going to rack some head. I saw the names know that to call the heat, and now we're landed. Well, if you give a party, don't lock the door. Turn out all the lights, cause if you don't let my boys inside, it's going to be a fight. Greetings, salutations, and ooh-wee! Welcome to another episode of Crashing the Party with Mark and Miriam. And the first hour of this episode of Crashing the Party is the usual stuff with great music and the usual blather with Mark and Miriam. And the second hour of this episode is the third and final installment, we promise, of the interview we did with Val Shively in Pennsylvania. And you can listen to all three parts of the interview with Val at CrashOnTheParty.co. Leave off the M for Magnificent. So let's get hopping.
promise, baby. Me, I'm always a happy man. We had a little girl and she was great. It's all a baby.
The Precisions and Mama Told Me, and I believe that Sly Stone on lead vocals, and I think he produced it. Miriam, do you know? No, but I want to learn more. <laughs> okay, we'll see what we can find out. <laughs> okay. And before that, the headliners and the story of B.I. Moore, which is kind of an unusual record, I believe. Well, what's the what is the story exactly? Um, I think he went away. Long and winding tale. He he went away to war, I believe, and then he came back, and his baby was still waiting for him. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah, but they only let him make that one record, and that was the end. It's a great record. End of the headliners. The Continental Five did "My Lonely Friend," which was originally on New Cat, but we were playing it from one of the Gus Gossard LPs, the one with the purple cover, Volume Two. Either way, Gus Gossard or New Cat, you put them two together, whoo! You're having a party. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And we started the show with The Five Chances and California, which was recorded for Chance in 1954, but I believe it was unreleased until 1964 when uh, Constellation Records did that series of collector showcase groups, LPs, um, and that was on volume five, and I'm pretty sure that was the first time that song was released. What a great one. Yeah. It was a cool record. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you got for us? Well, you've been playing those uh, fast and stomping kind of numbers. I was going to play a whole bunch of sappy ballads, but I got to keep up with you. So let's do a little segue here. We're going to not slow down, but we're going to play down slow oh. by the five jets. Okay. Well, let's go. Oh 
didn't you know that before you left? I'm sick and tired of being alone. She won't even answer the telephone. I better
Pretty good. Like hey, yeah. We started off with the five jets. Yeah, down slow. A little bluesy grind on that one. It's slowing things down just a tad and going into some really heavy duty vocal group excellence. Okay, the five royales. All right, you don't beat that with a stick, do you? No, you can't beat that okay. with a stick. No, so we've got our not, we've got our not five with a handful of sticks. No, not with a handful of sticks. I'd better make a move. All right, that's a good one. And all right, that forever my love I'm on Masons. I'm sure that is a Mark favorite as well, isn't yes, it? Yes, forever my love. As is Ooh. the other side of that. Oh yeah, and I believe that you played Genie before. I did play Genie before, and I may play Genie again at some point. I I hope you do. All right, and then on Alva, I lost you. The Charters with the Wanderers. Did you like that one? Yeah, I didn't know that one. I hadn't heard that before. That was great. Oh yeah, it's it's a goodie. Okay, and then we wrapped up. Oh yeah, with the Supremes on the fantastic Ace Records label. Hey. I think that it's time for you to be taking a, a little turn at the wheels. It always, what do you think? Yeah, it always amazed me. That record is so good, the Supremes record, uh, the, that they didn't make any more records. 
Well, that was it. Only one. That's so weird. It is. You haven't said that about any other groups ever on the program. <laughs> yes, I have. But but that one that one in particular, I've, it's yeah. always really surprised me that they didn't do anything else. That was the what they call the magnum opus. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's go. Crashing the Party has a record label? You know, you've been listening to it on the radio for a long time. And now, I couldn't believe it. There's actually a record out on the Crashing the Party record label. This is his earliest recordings on a 10-inch record. This is the stuff that he did before he was a great star in all of those movies with all the action and, you know, the karate moves and all of the X-rated fun. Hey, look, it's the 10-inch record. Back in action, Rudy Ray Moore. Step it up and go. And other favorites. Yeah, what are those other favorites, Mark? Besides step it up and go, we have Ring-a-ling-dong. Hurts me to my heart. The buggy ride. Rally in the valley. I'm mad with you. Robbie Dobby. Ballad of a boy and girl. What you gonna do? And I'll be home to see you tomorrow. Wow, that's what they call 10 on 10. Crashing the party. It's a record label. It's a radio show. Request it. 
at your local record store. This is a very, very limited edition and it will not be repressed, so get yours today.
Is it yes or is it no? Should I stay and be happy, dear, or should I go? If this is so, I'll be forever loving you. Does your heart beat like mine? Don't you sometimes think that you've had too much wine? If this is so, I'll be forever loving you. When you're near, everything is so sweet. When you're gone, I feel like I'm in need. When you smile, I feel so gay. Is it yes or is it no? Should I stay and be happy, dear, or should I go? If this is so, I'll be forever loving you. This is so, I'll be forever loving you.
the Pyramiders on Scott Records out of Florida and how it feels. I don't know what a Pyramider is. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask yeah, you. I have no idea. Pyramider? No, Pyramider. Wow. Well, one of the one of the people from the pyramids <laughs> would be a Pyramider. Oh, yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I like that a lot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and before that, we heard the Eldorados, of course, and I'll be forever loving you. All a right. song which has three separate endings. Why not? Why not? Uh, the Eldorados, they can do whatever they Absolutely. want. Absolutely. And the Olympics did well, which is the B-side of Western movies, and that was on Demon. All right. And the Meadowlarks cool. did uh, Real Pretty Mama on RPM from 1953, and we started that set with the Dream Lovers out of Philly and for the first time on Len Records. All right, the competition is heating oh, up. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, you took us to California on your first set. I'm taking you back over there. Come on, let's go. Richard Berry, let's go. My spine, oh, we just once more. Later, baby, there's your father at the door. Daddy, daddy, please don't go. Daddy, daddy, baby, baby, baby. Oh, be 
there. Okay, look, we started this last set of our first hour with Richard, next time Barry, and the Dreamers with Daddy Daddy on Flair. Oh, he didn't make a bad record, not ever. Oh, and not ever. No, they're all good. They really, really are. And hey, after that, oh, one of the all-time great sobbers. Oh yeah, I'm stuck. The five jets. And okay, so look, after that, crying all alone. There's a theme developing here, an unusual theme for crashing the party, right? The Rayovax crying all alone. That's the flip side of party time. So, you know, after the party, things might get a little bit more obtuse. Hey, look, after... Th- I, like, I like groups that name themselves after a brand of battery. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. We wrapped up there with Five Jats. I'm wondering, what's that doing on Fortune? Yeah, especially when the label says how to do the bacon fat. Yeah, this is one of those really cool things known as a mistake. Yeah, we love our mistake records, and that's a big one on Fortune. Yeah, people listening to how to do the bacon fat, they're trying to learn how to do this dance. What are they getting? The Fantastic I'm Wandering by our beloved Five Jets. Also, another group that didn't make a bad record, not ever. This is William Perez Tyus, most noted for writing a couple of doo-wops, I'm So Young, My Vow You, and Every Day of the Week. And over the years, I'm appreciative of how many people love the song, but most of all, I want to wish all the listeners of Crashing the Party to have a party in your heart and your mind for the holiday season. Much love, much blessings, and peace.
And now the exciting third part of our interview with the incredible Val Shively of R&B Records, Philadelphia. Let's go with Val. Because you asked for it. Gossard, that explosion changed everything for me. And here comes all these people down here. It's like all of a sudden I got New York at my door. I used to, and they were all young kids, and uh, uh, I, I had so much fun with them. And, you know, I, was, I got into black. I, I, look, I started out as a white group collector. So I, had, I knew white groups real good because that's what I started with. I mean, there's plenty of things. Like, look, I, I still think, uh, I wonder why Deanna Belmont's is one of the greatest records ever made. It's just an outrageous record. Yep. There's all kinds. And they, they don't have to be black. Look, I love the imaginations. I love the quotations, imagination. I still, I, I, I don't forget that. You know, it's still exciting. So all these things, look, the beginning for me was things like when I went to Times and I heard Mexico to Rockettones, holy shit, how did I never hear this? This is insane. You know, I'm friendly with Bill Witt. I tell him that. Uh, you know, he's telling me the record sold four and a half million. I said, uh, Bill, excuse me, I don't want to tell him because he's messed up today. He's in a wheelchair and shit. But I said, how about if you sold 10,000, that's a lot. <laughs> Boom, 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 boom. 
But anyway, that's artists always think they sold millions, and the the owners know better. But you know, somewhere I I, I know a little about both. I, I'm friendly with owners and artists. I like that. That's one of my joys about this whole thing is I've become friendly with with a lot of the artists. And you can thank Ronnie I for all that. When Ronnie I started that organization UGHA, and he had meetings, and you could get the you, not only could you hear the harp tones and the channels and all these groups that we loved. Actually, I guess it started before that with with Gossard. You know, with the concerts he did on uh, the Academy of Music and all that, where the lines went right around the block. It's unbelievable. There was, an, there was another organization that I was part of called the Rhythm and Blues and Rock and Roll Society. It was based in Bridgeport. A guy it, named Bill Nolan. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You ready? It's yeah. amazing you know that because guess what? That's where Ronnie got it. That's yeah, I where, know. Oh, you knew that? Yeah, Bill I Bill Nolan, who I've known since the mid-60s, was always a customer. Jones, his wife, they and that, I don't think it's still on. It, it might be. He still has yeah, a radio he's show. Still on oh, the good, radio. good, good, good. Yeah. He had these meetings that he bring the Ravens in and people like right. that. And I, I have. I'm friendly that. with. Yeah. I'm friendly with Charlie LaRocco. When he was a teenager, he would go up there, and people would go from New York and all, and go up to see Bill in in uh, where was he? Bridgeport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bridgeport, radio station yeah. Bridgeport. You're right. Yeah. So you're right, and that's where Ronnie. I just I I didn't know this till maybe mm, six months ago. They told me this. Ronnie, I went to things, and he said, "This is really neat." I can I'm do gonna, it better. I'm gonna, though, I yeah. can do this. I don't yeah. know if he said better, but I can do this, and I'm going to do this when I get back. And he started UGHA, and you know what? All because of Bill Nolan. So it all starts somewhere. We went to one of the Gossard shows, and something was up. It was at the Academy of Music, and Mike Rascio. Uh, somehow, I think he was up on stage. He, he was—he uh, knew some people that were close to all that. What was going on? Larry Marshak was probably part of that. Gossert was a, a, was a, against drugs. He always talked against drugs on the air. Is what I was told. He was anti-drugs. Turns out he was—he he was bring, a junkie. He was—he was, he was he, not only was a junkie. He was bringing drugs in. He was involved in some kind of a distribution thing. He was not just a guy who was on drugs. He was bringing drugs in. He was involved with some yeah. big people. Okay? I heard that too. Okay, yeah. so here's what happens. Well, okay. So he, they arrest him. And Blavitt did the show that night. They brought Jerry Blavitt up from Philadelphia as a last minute person to do that show because he had just got arrested and nobody this was just a, a red hot story i didn't even nobody knew i certainly didn't know where's where's gossard he ain't here it's jerry blavitt he's from philly what's he doing up here so here's what happens gossard goes to jail and i think he went to jail in connecticut a drug a, a prison that is for drug people drug dealers or whatever this is what i what i pretty comes pretty i mean i i it might be off a little bit but it ain't all far he goes in and he he's in prison and he cuts a deal where he actually names names and tells them what they want to hear the uh, feds or whoever was involved in all this shit so they he put him under witness protection let him out of jail they give him a new identity and he's a disc jockey, so they get him a job, or somehow he gets a job in Knoxville, Tennessee. Knoxville, Tennessee, exactly. Okay. He's on yep. the air in Knoxville, probably playing, you know, Dolly Parton, or you know, I mean, who knows what he's doing? But he ain't playing doo-wop in, in Knoxville. But he's right. doing his thing. He's probably wears a cowboy hat, and uh, you know, he's doing his thing. One night, he comes out of the station, probably at night, when he—I don't know when his shift was, but. 
they found him dead in his car with you know emptied couple you know with multiple multiple bullet holes all throughout him so you know what they find you if they want you now me. oh me you. yeah oh that's right me <laughs> so now i'm doing uh i quit my job i opened the store oh okay now i think i'm just going to sell group records and here comes this kid in uh, you know here comes all these people in this is when that animal house movie was out or whatever and everybody in the door was just somebody coming in for shout by the ozzy brothers which I liked that record when I was a kid, but now I hate it because it's like, how many times can I hear this piece of shit? You know, because, you know, it's like overkill. So there's a million overkill records. Yeah. So, um, and that's one of them. So, but at the time when I was playing it, nobody knew it, or at least nobody in my circle knew it. That was like, great. My parents hated it. So um, anyway, uh, I realized real early on, you know what? This ain't working. I had mail order, so I could still do it. But, you know, every time the door opened, it was somebody asking for some stupid thing that meant nothing. So eventually, I think I had to buy Shout. So I probably bought 100 copies from a distributor. And then, uh, you know, then I, I was bu bu buying loads. I bought a load of records from this guy, Johnny Lamont, another witness protection guy who took down Morris Levy. That's another show, which is very, very good. He was, uh, he was a kid I grew up with. That you know always wanted to be a millionaire by the time he was thirty, and you know if he kept his if he kept clean and didn't get involved with the bad boys, putting out catalogs and I'm having fun and oh I bought a load from Johnny one time ten thousand records for uh, it was supposed to be I, I went and looked at the record I said I don't buy loads I only cherry pick I went and it was a jukebox load from Buffalo New York and I opened the first box up and it was uh, two loves of I by the diamonds on Atlantic original stuck on top. I said, I closed the box. I said, I'll take the load. How much is it? Just because of one record. And I bought it. It was $10,000. And um, it was the worst deal I ever bought in my life. He put that record in there just to kill me. He probably went out and bought the record from somebody and said, watch this. I'm going to make this the top record he sees. I know him. He'll buy the whole load. Somehow I bought it. And, you know, it was... A lot of soul things in there, which, you know, now to all these years later, it turned out to be good. But I, I dumped most of the records. But I, now I'm one to buy in loads. And I started buying from jukebox, op jukebox operators. And most of them were current records. And, and, you know, I liked the old records. I didn't want new ones. But I would, a lot of them was soul. And a lot of it was this and that. And I, I could go on for days about all that. And that's where my inventory went through the roof. Because mm -hmm. I'm buying thousands. And, you know, I bought a million. In 1990, I bought a million records out of New Orleans that wow. was a gold mine and Louie went in there before I did. I never went in there until it was too late. Yeah. They cherry picked it at $3 a piece, a place called TAC, which was the biggest jukebox operator probably in the South. It was in New Orleans, which is a big music town. And oh, yeah. this place borrowed millions from a bank called Pelican Savings and they defaulted on a loan and there was an article in San Francisco in a paper with a, the bank manager holding up records and it said, you know, these are not the records I'm used to. I'm used to bank records, but I got to sell these <laughs> records. And a friend of mine in St. Louis, in, in San Francisco called me up, Kirk Roberts, and he said, Val, I don't know if you heard about this, but there's a guy selling all these records. In, and I knew all about it because Louie got in there early, and, and it was a gold mine, three bucks a pop. It was loaded with Chance Records and Blues, Yellow Atlantics and J-O-Bs and, you know, all kinds of blues because New Orleans was a very, very you know a, a, a great music town and it wasn't loaded with it, it had like atlantic the drifters and the clovers and all that stuff but it wouldn't have like 
you know, any New York groups unless they're, you know, nasty. It would be the, the Spiders, all the, you know, all the, the New Orleans kind of shit. That was, that's another sound. It's not really group-oriented in New Orleans, but, you know, they like jump No, but they do records. have some great group stuff. Oh, I know. No, 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 absolutely. Yeah. But not like yeah. New York or not like Chicago or not right. like, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. you know, Los Angeles. So anyway, I bought all those records, and it was loaded. It was just um, look. I'm out of control. I don't. I'm still out of control. All these years later. Well, okay, you, I'll tell you some things that I love. All right. Okay. Like you're, like you're okay, a label and then you guy. You can play them. Well, yeah. Well, first yeah, of all, okay. now you said you developed into a label guy. Like, what are your top labels? Okay. No, no, no it's not labels. It's records. Okay. Uh, and they were on labels. All right. Okay. So here, this is one of my. <laughs> please. Uh, this with uh, stop snorting over there. I heard that. Uh, that's what I do. I'm a snorter. Okay, here. Here's a record that's not real valuable, maybe three, four hundred dollars. <laughs> okay. But I okay. love this right, record. Wait, 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 wait. It doesn't get any better okay. than this. You ready? Right. Moments like this by the Baltineers on Teenage. Love okay. It. All right. Definitely. I mean, that is to die for. <laughs> that says that. it all. That's. It's like not. It's simple, but it's powerful. <laughs>
the holy grail of this whole hobby. It, it, not only is it an extremely rare record, but it's a fabulous record. I mean, the harmonies, it's a beautiful song. You know, it's an old standard. And, oh my God, it's great. And these guys really made, they made one of the record, but it's not even, they don't even hold a candle to this thing. And I know the whole story on the record, how it happened. And they're from West Philadelphia and nobody even knew it. And, uh, you know, but the guy named there's a very famous guy in philadelphia who was an engineer he owned his own re recording studio it was called reco art and it was down on market street and here comes all the hits of the day at the hop was cut there butterfly was cut there any who get a job probably you know all the philly great and not so great i mean great the, the selling the hit records of the day and the non-hits that we all love were mostly cut there Okay, and then it became. Then he moved, but he got in trouble, and he had to move to New York. He he killed somebody in, in, by car, and you know he was probably drinking or something, and he ran, and he went to New York, and somehow he got a job working at Decca in New York. His name was Emil Corson. You'll look at the labels of all these Philly records, and you'll see E K in the dead wax. That's his initials. He was a nutcase, but he was brilliant. He's like a Phil Spector. He knew what he wanted. And he didn't. You weren't allowed to touch the mics. And he knew exactly how to make records. He was brilliant. And so this guy cut that record. He cut it. I'm talking about the Hideaways. And he he was. I think he was having an affair with his secretary. Her name was Ronnie. It's a woman. That's what Ronnie is. It's not Ronnie I. So uh, <laughs> he uh, he makes that record. He might have made three hundred.
when Jerry Green came down here to fill, he wasn't even living here yet. He used to go to Herbie Swatkins, which is Tree Goobs Records. He owned Grand Records. And it was a one stop in uh, the black area in Philadelphia on Lancaster Avenue, 4095 Lancaster Avenue. He sold appliances and records. And he, and he was a wholesaler of black records and he had his own label. And what, the counter guy was Jerry Ragavoy for you soul people who, you yeah, know, yeah. and Jerry Ragavoy. is my heart. Yeah. yeah, all that. He wrote amazing shit. And he, he's the guy who one day he was leaving the store. I'm telling seven stories at once. <laughs> one day he's leaving the store and these five black kids, young kids are outside standing on the corner singing. And he walks up to him and he says, what the hell's that? What are you singing? He said, that's a song that, uh, that's a poem. That's a, so where, what is that song? That's something we wrote. He goes, hold on, don't leave. He walks back in and he says to Herbie Slotkin, who owned the place, or his parents, maybe his father owned it, I don't know. Herbie, you know, is a little older. He says, Herbie, there's these five black kids outside. And they were singing and they sound good. And they're singing some song that they wrote. Let's make a record. Let's want to make a record? He goes, yeah, I don't give a shit. Make a record. Brings them in, and they end up putting it all together, and, and Ragavoy's playing the piano, and, you know, all this kind of shit. And that record was My Girl Awaits Me by the Castells on Grand, which is the first record on the label, even though it's, it's 4001 or something. I don't know. So anyway, that was the beginning of the Philly sound. You know, that, and that was 53, 54, and the Andrews was already doing stuff on Rainbow. There were black groups that were doing things. The Buccaneers were out there. There was a lot of, but nothing was really, you know, it was going on, to be honest with you. Nothing like New York. And then we had Georgie Woods came down here from New York. That's another story. He got a job at WHAT, and he was very, he was from New York, and he would go home on the weekends and sit in Bobby Robinson's store because he was homesick. And that's where, that's why, Dear One by the uh, Scarlets on Red Robin was a huge record in Philly because he broke it down here. Love 
ask me about great records, yeah. guess what? Tears on My Eyes by the Baltineers is another one of my great records. There's a group that only made two records as the Baltineers, and both of those records are in my top ten. There's another group, the Magic Tones. It's it's an incarnation of the Magic Tones on King. They're from Baltimore. They cut this record in in the late 50s. Called It's the Tears of My Eyes. Their version is outrageous. So is the other one. So is the Baltineers. So there's just, I'm throwing that in for no, no you know, that's no charge. <laughs> I told you in the beginning of this about a guy named Jerry Neport. Yeah. Jerry Neport was a guy from Detroit who had the insight to go around the country in the 50s and stockpile all these records. Well, he had, I mean, he was just in his own world and, you know, he didn't know know, anything about New York initially and then he found out and guys would go there and Barry Rich destroyed him. Barry Rich went there and killed him, took all his great shit. But, Anyway, uh, he had an amazing collection. Okay, now here's what happens. Um, okay, one of the guys I sold the hideaways to was a plastic surgeon in Pittsburgh. His name was Rob Shook. Now he doesn't. He's not active anymore. His wife died, and there's kids involved. And he's, you know, when I knew him, 
he didn't have any money. He was going to medical school and all. And then he becomes a plastic surgeon, which means you got a lot of money. Yeah. You know, each face is a half a million or something. So anyway, Rob Shook, I didn't know this, but Rob Shook was negotiating with Jerry Newport to buy his record collection. Okay? I didn't know this. It was just the two of them. And so uh, this all comes out later in the story. So now here's what happens. I went to Newport in 1969, I think, 68, with all the money I owned at the time, which was $2,500. That's every penny I had because he was willing to sell me records out of his, no, no, doubles, doubles. He had fabulous doubles and he had things that were on my want list. And this was a, so I actually flew to Detroit. Ouch. And I go there and... I'm a dealer by now. You know, he knew me because he bought records for me and everything was $10, $5, $10 and all. I get to his house and he pulls out these records that I never saw before and his price, $100 a piece. You want to buy these records or 100 bucks a piece? So look, I'm there and I never saw these records and you know what? I said, all right. And so I start buying these records. I pull them I, I, and I'm buying things I didn't think I have and I came home and one of the records I already had it was a promo, and I didn't recognize it. And I call him back up, and I, this is, and I said, Jerry, listen, I, I made a mistake. I had one of the records. He goes, huh, that's your problem. And I said, whoa, 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 listen. I just bought all these records for all this money, I, I, you know, and you, you don't even, you know, you know I, I don't want my money back. I left records here. Just give me any of the records that were in that pile. Just pick out one that you don't even give a crap about. Yeah. I don't want the record. He goes, you can sell it. I said, yeah, I can sell it for $10 and lose 90 I can't do that. I don't want to lose $90. So he says, yeah, that's why I don't like you New Yorkers or whatever. I said, well, first of all, I'm from Philly. Uh, anyway, so after that happened, I was so upset because it was all my money. And then I started playing the records. This is another bad thing that happened to me. Uh, and so I play my records and I, I play the records I got from him and I don't even like them. Uh -huh. These are like records that are they're rare, I guess. I never saw them before, but like these are shit. I'm very upset with the way I was treated by Jerry Neport. In other words, I just took every penny I owned. I go to Detroit he's and I get treated and I get, oh yeah, yeah. he's 80. I'm 70. He's five years older than me. Right. So um, I really not used to being treated that way yeah. in other words i don't you don't have to do anything special but i mean you could at least appreciate the fact that i just spent twenty five hundred dollars i never had nobody come in and spend that kind of money yeah. at the time yeah. so anyway so we oh so then i started listening to my records this is where louis comes in again this is a classic louis so i ended up saying to myself you know what this hobby is way 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 out of I, I'm out of line I, I don't know what I'm doing this is stupid I just blew this money it's dumb I sell records for ten dollars and I'm paying a hundred and they suck and this guy doesn't even you know it back it all came back to deport because he wouldn't let me he wouldn't even let me exchange it for another record he just said stick it up your ass more or less mm -hmm. so I decide that I'm gonna sell anything that I don't love in my collection if it isn't great with that mentality, yeah. I'm going to go through every record yeah. and I'm going to play it. And if it isn't great, it's going. So I call up 
know that feeling. That's horrible. Listen, yeah. everybody should do it. Everybody should do it once. All record collectors, because you'll learn a lesson. So what happened was, I start. I, there's a kid that came down who's still alive. Who, if you could find this kid, and I know he lives in New York, and he lives in a very bad area, but. You know, and I know, I think he's still alive. Oh, His name, Jeff Lynn, like in ELO. Yeah. Jeff Lynn. There's a Jeff Lynn that has records and comic books like EC comics and somebody went to his house maybe 10 years ago and said he was 50 pounds he was eating chicken bones that were thrown on the floor the guy is really emaciated but his parents or no his brother or somebody's paying the rent he's in it's like and and the guy who told me all this oh he came to me yeah and he did a Louie you know what a Louie is no here's what he did he says he lays down on the floor and he goes play me some records make me crazy in other words ah and it's kicking his feet up in the air and all. In other words, you know, in other words, play me some shit and play me, you know, in other words, this is like the Louie thing. Louie used to go crazy, like, oh my God, I'm, I'm having a, so that was Louie. They were doing Louie. So uh, I sold him all these records for $10 a piece and uh, all these records out of my collection and he bought some killer records. Now, I sold Mondrone records. I sold Dominic D'Elia records. I sold a lot of people records, you know, hundreds of records. And then Louie hears about me. And Louie comes down to the house and he says, what, you know, and Louie and I were always close. And Louie says to me, what in the world are you doing? You know, and so I said, um, uh, you know, and he goes, how could you do this? I don't understand you. And I, and so he starts to tell me, you can't do this. What? And he, I remember it was a Lamplighters record. It was, you know, Believe in Me, the Lamplighters, or something by the Lamplighters on Federal, which is in my pile. I have piles all over the place of these records. And he says, what's wrong with you? Listen to this record. He put the record player on, turn it on, listen to this. And he plays the record, my record. Mm -hmm. And he says, what the hell? Listen. And so I end up, I ended up saying, you know, you're right. Give me that record back. And he goes, when this one should be, and he's showing me what I'm doing wrong. And then he takes a record like this, and he says, now I can understand you not want, not keeping this, and it was, you ready? Pat Cordell and the Crescents on Club, Darling Come Back, which is, it cost me a thousand to get that record back. But, you know, it was like, he, it's white, screw that, and he throws it against a wall. It didn't break it, but it's telling me, like, I understand that shit. Well, it's not shit, but at the time it was shit because I didn't know what I was doing. So then Louie, like, I said, you know what, Lou? He's got a big pile of records. He says, look, you know, and, and he saved me. I said, you know what? I love you. Come here. Let me give you a big hug. You saved my life. Otherwise, I would have probably sold the shit. He said, wait a minute. You did sell it. He said, I just bought these records. I said, what are you talking about? You bought them. I said, they're my records. He says, you don't understand. You just told me they were $10 a piece. I bought them all. I said, but you didn't give me no money. He goes, well, you, you know, let me explain something to you. You want the records? You got to buy them back from me, and they ain't ten dollars each. So I bought my own records back from Louis. I don't know what he charged me. How did that happen? It's not one of the, my favorite stories. So, but it did save my ass. So you know, I bought my own stupid records back. He never even left the house with them. He never even paid me, and I gave him all this money. And so you know, that's you know, thanks, Lou. So. Now, I, I told you that. Can you teach me that technique? No, it's bad. Get away from my records. Okay, now you want to know what happened to records, okay? When I first got into this, I used to put all the records on my want list. One of the best things about my list was 
the back of it was more important than the front. The front was how I sold records. The back was what I really wanted more than anything else was to get these records that I never, you know, no matter how I could get them. I, my purpose in life was to have the best record collection of this music, not to make money, not to do the, the, the all that shit. That was important because you need money to buy records. You need money to live. And this was, I never thought I could do something I loved. But um, I, I, I'm blessed. I, I, I'm one of the ones that did something. And, you know, Louie and I used to talk about that. You know, we, we in the middle of the night, you know, three, four in the morning at my, at my store. And, and you know, it, the still of the night, meaning not the record, but the door was wide open and you could hear no cars going by and it was quiet. And I said, you know what? Everybody else is sleeping. They're getting ready to go to work tomorrow. Look, they're putting on their five the three-piece suit and they're put, packing their attache and all this other shit. And look, and then it, I remember one morning they were all, it was like, listen, there's noise. What's that noise? And we over, we go to the door and it's armies of people going to the terminal to get on the trains to go to work. I said, wow, that could have been us. You know, that kind of shit. We're laughing and we just made some thousands of dollar deal between, between the two of us. But now, back to reality. Reality is this. So I ended up always putting my want list on the back of my catalog and that's how I got records. And the most everything was, back when the records were $25, I would say I'll pay 100 and Dominic used to get all the records in New York for free because everybody said, well, he slings and he's really into this and he should really, you should give him to Dominic, donate him to him because he really lives this and he's the best and blah, 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 blah. I said, and, but wait a minute, there's that, what about that guy Val in Philadelphia? He's paying a hundred bucks a piece. Yeah, screw Dominic. Let's get a hundred for him. So Dominic was not one of my fans, you know, uh, but that's what happened. So now a hundred, hundred, hundred. And I remember that was in the early 70s. I had customers that used to have money that came into my store. I mean, not even my store yet. Before I, when I was at the one stop, would come in. This one guy, Joe Tompkins, who just found me again recently, came in and he says, Val, pick, give me five $100 records that will blow my mind. Just give me, I want to I buy $500 records. I said, yeah, that's all right. Where's your best records? So I would give them things like the Larks when I leave these prison walls on orange wax Apollo, 100 bucks, because that's the top of all this. Whatever the number, whatever the most valuable records were, that's what they were, 100 bucks. You know, Candlelight, the Concords on Harlem, 100. You know, whatever these records, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's what I did. So, and so it was 100, 100, 100. And then around the mid 70s, uh, that started to go up a little bit. And I had, this guy came into this hobby, Dave Antrell. He was a doctor. He lived in California. He would call me every Monday morning and say, would you get anything in over the weekend? Bah, 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 bah. And he was very aggressive and he had money because he was a doctor. And then Dominic always called me every Monday too to see what I got. So, I mean, these guys, Dominic didn't spend that kind of money. But, uh, and then the record started to go up in value, uh, you know, to 200, 300. And I remember with Dave, I remember the records going to 500. I sold him records that uh, I got from Jared's collection that I didn't want to sell for anything. But I said, you know, if you want to give me $500 a piece, and I sold him things like uh, Estelle by the, here's one of the greatest records ever made. It's the most beautiful thing. I'll let you see this one. Estelle by the Bell Tones on Grand, Red Wax. That, that's like the, the uh, Mona Lisa. A guy called me up one day from... Uh, Detroit I think or Chicago and he had a copy of Aurelia by the um, 
Pelicans, thank you, on Parrot. So he says, I want, I said, what do you want for it? He goes, it's brand new. I want $1,000. $1,000? I never paid $1,000 in my life for any record. He goes, well, it's brand new. It's got to be worth 1000 So I said, send it to me. Let me look at it. So he sent it. Bingo. It was mint. I took it. $1,000. Now I paid $1,000 for a record. Show me, mackerel. This is crazy. Now, here's what goes. Here's what's going on. I bought that for 1000 in my head, you know, and I had a copy that was beat to shit that I got from Freddie Kaplan. It was played with a screwdriver or something. It had a big oh, gouge in it. Yeah. But, but anyway, um, now, uh, here's what happens. Here comes a phone call one day. Jerry Neeport. Jerry Neeport, I haven't done a list. This is in the 80s, early 80s. Uh -huh. I haven't done a list since 1975 because I was in the National Enquirer. I, and that's another whole big long story, too long for today. But they put me in there saying that everybody had records worth millions of dollars and I got inundated with mail. You know, probably a half a million letters for my catalog and it had my wallet on the back and it was like an adventure that I never, ever, ever I've never had to do another catalog since because it really put me on the map. Even though, and it didn't cost me a dime. Now, so, so Neeport calls me up one day. And out of the clear blue sky, and he says to me this, Val, I'm selling some records, and I need to know values. Can you tell me what you would sell them for? And I said, yeah, I do that all the time. That's nothing. So I ended up, so he names these records. He names you know, he would say something like he'll say moments like this to Baltineers, and maybe I, maybe at the time it was a hundred. I don't know. I'd say a hundred. He goes, "Yeah, that's what I thought." And he's naming records, and he names a record that of a song that I need. That there's only one known copy. Dave Antrell has it, and it's cracked. So, I don't want to tell him I need that. That's the last thing I need to do. So here's what he said. So I, I said, now every time I told him a price, maybe it was 10 records. Every time I told him a price, he said, yeah, well, that one I had $50 more on or that one I thought was a little cheaper. You know, he had an answer to everything that whenever I said it's 300, he'd say, yeah, I have 250, you know, something like that. So I knew there was a number in his head and I knew nothing about what he was doing with these records. I just knew, I knew nothing about him selling his personal collection. I just... He asked me questions and, you know, give him the answers. He names this record. It's LSMFT Blues by, and I usually, Meadowlarks on RPM. So I usually wouldn't tell you that till the end of the story just to keep your interest, but I'm tired. So um, anyway, here's what happens. So I said, when he said that record, I said, what conditions that in? And he goes, it's brand new. It's never been played. So I said, I paused a little bit and I said, you're selling these records? He says, yeah. I said, I'll give you $1,500 for that record. He said, what? I said, I knew it was rare. He goes, but I didn't know it was that rare. I said, well, he goes, you don't have it? I said, no, I have it. But my copy's not mint. I'd like to upgrade. I lied. So he says, uh, all right. He goes, I had I knew it was rare. I had like six hundred on it or something like that. But you're going to give me fifteen hundred dollars for it? He goes, I'll send it to you. So 
he he sends me the rec- after I get off the phone. I said, you know what? That could have been the dumbest thing I ever did. I probably should have said a thousand. You know, why did I say fifteen hundred? It's ridiculous. But because I paid a thousand for that other record, and this was something that I only knew of one other copy, and it was cracked, so that's why I did it. <laughs> day he mails it to me by the way now the next day he says to me or no maybe that same day he said listen i got a problem he said i have these records sold to somebody and you know you're giving me a lot more for that record than i asked for so ouch i'm really hurting today okay this story's good though. So he says to me, to "No, no, no. First of all, you're in the good chair, and I'm in this friggin' yeah, I'm, in the good br- chair. I'm in the worst chair ever." So <laughs> oh. anyway, um, okay. So this is what he says to me, and this is a guy who's been around longer than I have. This is what he says: "What should I tell the guy? Because I don't, I don't want to tell my soul to you." I said, "That's a no-brainer. Here, you tell him you changed your mind. You don't want to sell it." 
And if you do, when you're ready to sell it, you'll let them know. It's your records. What are you telling? Yeah, you can do anything you want. You can. T- you don't have to be obligated to nothing. He goes, yeah, maybe, uh, or whatever. He gives me like a weird answer. I said, listen, Jerry, I'm not going to ever tell anybody that I bought this record. Now you're saying, well, what the hell are you telling them Except for? what I blab it. No, to- well, no, because I didn't tell anybody. I said you tell him what you want to tell him i didn't ask who it was i knew nothing about any of this i just said stop it you know you can just say anything stop oh, wait ridiculous a minute. wait a minute okay i'm gonna sneeze no i'm guessing no, don't What's... guess don't, well okay. here okay so here's what happens about a week later give him 1500 hours and i thought the end of the story was there okay about okay the next thing that happens is i get a phone call from fred bond in pittsburgh mm-hmm Okay, Fred Bond calls up and he says to me, congratulations. I said, for what? He said, I just heard you got this record. I said, what record? He says, LSMST Blues or whatever. And I, I said, I don't, what do you tell I don't have that. He goes, yes, you do. Remember, I told I remember, I'm the one that said I'm not telling anybody. Right, right. So he says, yes, you do. You, got it. you paid $1,500 for it. You bought it from Jerry Neeport. I said, who told you that? He goes, Neeport. I said, I thought he didn't want me to, I didn't think I didn't think he wanted anybody to know. He said, well, he told me. He says, that's really rare. You really did great. I said, I did great? I think you're nuts. I said, I never paid that kind of money in my life for a record. It's. It, I think it's ridiculous, but you know what? Whatever. So now here's what happens next, and this is where it all changes. Okay. I get a phone call. Jerry Neeport. Jerry says, Val? I said, yeah. He says, we got a problem. I said, we do? He says, yeah. I said, what is it? He goes, I need the record back. Mm-hmm. I said, we do have a problem. I'll tell you right now, it's not coming back. So he says, I said, by the way, what are you doing telling people? I thought you weren't going to tell anybody about this. He said, well, I got to get it back. You got to give me the record back. It's really important. I said, Jerry, he goes, well, hold on, listen, you ready? Before you say anything else, I'll give you $2,000 for the record. I said, nope. He said, all right, all right. I'll give you $2,500. I said, Jerry, 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 we're going the wrong way. I have no intentions. Forget it. 3000 I said, no. $4,000. Oh, man. No. Okay, Jerry. I mean, I'm sorry. He says, Val, $5,000. I'll give you $5,000. I have to have that record back. It must come back to me. The record must come back to me. It must. I said, well, let's cut to the chase, Jerry. You ready? If you offer me $100,000, it still ain't coming back to you. Honest. It's still, I swear to God, if you offer me $100,000 for this record, you're not getting it back. He says, you son of a bitch, and he hung up on me. That's it, okay? Now, I didn't know this but he was selling records out of his collection. Now, remember Rob Shook? Rob Shook was a plastic surgeon. Yep. He was negotiating, and the story is this, that he had worked a deal. Jerry Neeport's father had just died. Jerry Neeport was not married. Jerry Neeport saw that what happens to all of us in time, we're out of here. And apparently, like I had that problem where I, I made a big mistake in 1969 and sold records out of my collection for $10 a piece because I didn't know where I was. He was in that same situation where 
I guess he saw it as, you know, what am I doing with these friggin' records? I'm, my dad just died, and I'm going to die, and what am I doing? I mean, I got all this money into this, or not even in money. He bought them for a quarter. But I, got, I, I, I have an opportunity to sell this shit. I don't know what he thought. All I know is he was negotiating. He was negotiating with Peter Yaffe. Peter Yaffe is up in Boston who uh, has who comes from money. Who Peter's a dear friend. I love Peter. But here's what he did. Peter said, I want that record no matter what. You offer it to me, I'll pay whatever I have to pay to get it back. And then Jerry Neport turned around and whatever Peter asked for after that became $5,000. He, he changed it by offering five to Jerry Neport and that's what changed everything. Listen, all of a sudden, I'm paying $5,000 for the records I need. This new number came out of nowhere. Oh. And it went, and it was out there. The number is five. Anytime you have something that Val needs or, you know, Peter we'll needs. remember that. No, no, I got it all now. It doesn't matter. Too late. No, I still need shit, but not much. So, um, anyway, and believe me, I paid $5,000. I know I paid 5000 for a lot of records. I Am I happy about I it? No. But that's the name of this game. So, right. that's what changed that. That whole record thing changed with that, uh, with LSMFT Blues by the Meadowlarks on RPM. Things change. Times change. People's health, you, you get into the health thing. You get into, you know, what's going to happen to these records? Because what's going to happen to us? And by the way, everybody, I, I get a lot of people who tell me, you know what, it's going to get passed on. Young people will want this music. You'll see. Because of overseas, there's some activity. They have these acapella groups that are forming now overseas that are singing insane records that don't even make sense That because they heard a CD on Relic or something. And so... But I don't believe that. I think that it dies with us. I, I think that, I, I don't care what you say, my opinion is, because I sell, you know what keeps me alive today with my store? Soul Records. Unknown, yeah. oddball, just like the groups that I love, all those records that are unknown, obscure, that only sold 10 copies. And by the way, in the 60s, anybody could make a record. It wasn't expensive. You could make a record for a couple hundred dollars. So I went to a guy's house to buy somebody died and i and this guy got the records for nothing and he wanted to sell some things out of his collection this is about four or five months ago i go to his house and he's got reissues and boots and blah blah blah, blah and i'm going through and i'm playing like cards i'm doing it like in you could you, you so quick that you know he's talking to me and i'm making piles and it was like i've done this my whole life it's like i could close my eyes and do this shit and so you know and he and he says val stop you see that record over there I said, yeah. He goes, that's twelve hundred dollars. It's a Northern Soul record. It's it, it it's in the books for twelve hundred dollars. So I said, says who? You know. He goes, do you, he says, do you know it? I said, no, I don't know it. He goes, well, don't worry. It's a bootleg. It's a bootleg. It can't be real. So now I go finish the whole thing, and it's like twenty. It's like two thousand dollars for what I what I pulled from this guy and then i have this little stack of record little some picture sleeves of jackie wilson and some interesting little things nothing big and i and that record is there i look at the record i take it out of the sleeve he don't even he's not even watching me and i realize there's no way this is a bootleg so in my head that's a 1200 dollars record he said i don't want to do that to him i could have put it in the dollar pile he would have sold it to me but i said i'll give you 500 dollars for this pile so he says, let me see it. And he sees it, it's in there. He goes, what are you doing? I told you to boot. I said, listen, I'll take my chances. See, I like, 
I'm somewhat, you know, I'm not, you know, I, 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 I don't want to, you know, totally screw the guy. But, you know, he told me it's a boot. I don't think it's a boot. Look, maybe it is a boot, but I don't believe it. So, and I don't even know the record. Never sold a record in my life. So I ended up buying a record. Now, I come home that night. The next morning I go to work. And I, I I come to work now. Chuck is the guy that works for me who goes on the internet and he looks these things up. And I said, "Hey, I got this record. You know, I paid three thousand dollars last night for everything. I bought some other shit. I gave him three thousand uh, dollars. See this record? I said, see what you, I want to at least pay half my money back for this record. He says, let me look it up. He looks it up. He goes, well, you just did it." I said, what? He goes, you just screwed yourself. Would you pay for this record? I said, I don't know, $200, $250, I don't know. He said, the record is worth $50. I said, give me my record back, you dumbass. There's no way in the world they boot like a $50 record. Give me my record. You don't know what you're talking about. Give me my record. So I take it back. John Anderson calls me about an hour later, who's into all that northern shit, who lives in Scotland, who's my friend, who I love. And John says, you know, I said, I just bought some shit last night. There's some things in there you might like. So I start naming them records. And I said, he goes, yeah, I could use those. And he goes, I'll give you a hundred bucks a piece for him. So then I said, well, I got this other record, but I haven't done my homework yet, but I understand it's very valuable. So he says, what is it? I tell him the record. He says, what do you want for it? I said, Listen, I want at least $1,500 for the record. I don't know what I want for it yet, but it's got to be at least 1500 So he goes, I'll call you back. I want to make a phone call. I might be able to sell that record. So he calls me back in 10 minutes. Meanwhile, Chuck hears this going on, and he looks it back up again, and he goes, because he realizes that, and yeah, whoops. He says to me, holy shit. I hear him back there. I said, what is it? He goes, oh, my God. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, that record. There's two people have it up. One has it up for ten thousand, and one has it up for seventy five hundred. Oh my lord! So I go. Well, one, you know, I said. So anyway, I said, see. So now he call, John calls back. He goes, I need the. I can use the record. So I said to him, listen, John. I just Chuck just went online. He sees it. One guy selling it for ten, and one guy selling it for seventy five hundred. And this is these are brand. This is a brand new copy. He says, Val, just because I say it's ten thousand and five thousand and whatever, doesn't mean I can get that. I said, No, I understand, but still. So, and I had just bought a record off of this guy that I bought these records from. I paid him five thousand dollars for a record. This is the guy, and guess what? He paid three hundred dollars, and I I arranged the deal, and it turned out that you know it turned out to be a. a an odd pressing of this record that is really super rare. And so he was ready to send it back. And, and, and I said, no, I'll take it from you. I'll give you something good for it. And then the minute I said that, it became the most important record in his collection. So I should, so in my head, what I would have loved to do in, in retrospect is sell that record for $5,000 the one that I just got from him because I listen, I know what he paid 300. You got 5,000 from me. I got no problem. I paid 200 for a record and I got 5,000 for him turn, you know, turn around fair play or whatever that expression is. So anyway, long story. I, John says I, I could use it. It's not worth that kind of money. And I said, well, what do you want to give me? And he says, I'll give you $2,500 for everything. And I said, give me 3000 and it's yours. So that was my, got my three back, you know, in less than 24 hours. And that's the way I do business. Now, a friend of mine comes over about a month later. I had dinner with it's Kev Roberts. You probably know that name from England. And Kev, and I tell him the story at dinner. 
And he says, Val, you really screwed up. You effed up on that one. I said, what do you mean? He goes, you could have, that's the one record that you can get everybody up on the floor in, in, in England and wherever you go. That paraplegic stance to that. You know, people get up, they throw their wheelchairs away. That's the one record that everybody gets up to. Val, this has been really, really great. Thank you. I enjoyed it, too. And it's really too bad that we couldn't get you to talk. And that's it for this episode of Crash on the Party. And we here at Crash on the Party, myself, Miriam, and Matt, wish all you cats and kittens a wicked festive holiday season and a very happy new year. Yay!